0: You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Love Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com
1: If you're stuck in a relationship quandary
2: Or if you're looking for sexual harmony Well, there's nothing you can't
3: have On the Savage Lovecast
0: Last Thursday, when we were all hearing the news from Oregon where there was yet another mass shooting in a school, yet another deranged person with access to guns with too many weapons. Shades of the Sandy Hook elementary school shooting where deranged loner Adam Lanza lived with his mother and they owned shitloads of guns. This kid in Oregon who's, you know whose name I'm not going to mention lived with his mother and they owned shitloads of guns and his mom bragged about owning an arsenal. And Her kid took a part of that arsenal, all legally acquired guns, to a community college in Oregon and killed nine people and then killed himself. While we were all focused on that spectacular bit of gun violence, as the president went on television to give the speech that he is clearly sick of giving about these sorts of mass shootings, as the president said that our thoughts and prayers are not enough, as we were focused on the mass shooting in Oregon, the regular old in-and-out daily carnage of gun violence continued all across the country. There were hundreds of shootings that we didn't hear about because they didn't cross that threshold. They didn't hit that magic number. I don't know what that magic number is. Five, six, seven, eight, nine? What is the magic number at which a shooting breaks into the national consciousness and becomes a part of the national conversation about gun violence? Thursday, October 1st, the same day, That deranged asshole shot up that classroom in Oregon. A man in Las Vegas shot a woman to death in front of her children, took her young son to his house where he shot to death that woman's young son, and then he shot himself to death. The sister of the boy who died, the daughter of the woman who was murdered, she survived. She's the one who ran from the house where her mother was just killed to ask a neighbor to call the police. We didn't hear about that one because that was only... Three deaths. That was only a mother being murdered in front of her children. That was only a child being shot to death by a deranged person with a gun. America, world capital of deranged people with guns. I'm not going to hammer away at this. I hammered away at it all weekend long on Twitter, where I have been attacked and attacked and attacked by the gun nuts who insist that what works everywhere else in the world, safety regulations, Gun control could not possibly work here. Jumped down my throat all weekend. There's only one thing I want to say, and I kinda of wanna say it to them. I wanna kinda of wanna say it to the the NRA and the gun huggers and the gun nuts and the gun fetishists. Fewer and fewer people in America own guns, but the people who do own guns own more and more and more of them. As a percentage of the population, we have fewer gun owners in America now than we have in 75 years. But those people who do own guns, those people who fetishize them, those people who worship them, they're just piling up these arsenals like the mom of the kid who went and shot up the classroom in Oregon was, like Adam Lanza's mom did. And I would say to those people, those people who love guns so much, you just have to have piles of them. I just want to say this. It seems to me and I say this as not a gun owner, but I say this as the son of a gun owner and the brother of a gun owner and the nephew of gun owners. It seems to me that you would want guns to be difficult to get, that it would mean more to own a gun. If gun ownership was an awesome responsibility, if we weren't giving guns away on street corners, if we weren't just passing them off in parking lots, if to own a gun was a right and a privilege And you had to clear some hurdles. You had to jump through some hoops. In the same way you have to jump through some hoops to drive a fucking car or fly a fucking plane. Because then owning your precious fucking guns, having your little home arsenal to defend yourself when the government comes to take your guns away. Would mean that you were kind of unique and interesting and spectacular and good at this gun shit and not just another irresponsible asshole with a gun. That you were a highly responsible, highly trained asshole with a gun. That there would be a distinction then between you and other people. It would be a status symbol in a way. It would be an achievement to own a gun. It is not a fucking achievement in America right now to be a gun owner. Any idiot... Can get their hands on a gun in this country legally. And those of us who don't own guns have grown to regard anyone who owns a gun as just another fucking idiot with a goddamned gun. Stomping around saying you need your gun to protect your family, even though all the data indicates points to the fact that having a gun in the house makes you and your family less safe. Do you have to have that gun? You have to have that gun to keep your family safe? all right, you can have that gun, the fucking second amendment. We're never going to repeal it. You can have that fucking gun. But wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be in your own self-interest gun nuts if gun ownership was not something that any idiot could do? If we met somebody and they said that they owned a gun, we would automatically know that they'd had all this safety training and they had to pass mental health checks. They had to pass a background check. They had to never have engaged in acts of domestic violence or stalking. That if we could infer from gun ownership, responsibility, training, trustworthiness, we might regard gun owners as good and decent people to know. Not as dangerous nuts who might be arming their deranged children. Right? One other thing I want to say about guns, before we get back to crotches, is this. We constantly hear from gun owners that they need their guns to protect their freedoms. But the only freedom gun owners ever seem to be interested in protecting with all their guns is their freedom to own all those fucking guns. It's the Second Amendment, not the First Amendment. The First Amendment came first because it was more important. I say this as a fan of the First Amendment, and I speak now for other fans of the First Amendment. We might feel very differently about the Second Amendment if the NRA functioned as the armed wing of the American civil liberties union. If when someone's first amendment freedoms were being threatened or violated, out came the gun nuts, right? Cause they're there to protect our freedoms, not just their freedom to own the, all these fucking guns, but our freedoms generally. But that never happens when museum directors are arrested for putting on an art show. When someone's fourth amendment rights are violated, it's crickets from the second amendment crowd with all that firepower that they've amassed ostensibly to protect our freedoms, plural crickets, all y'all fucking a wall. If there were NRA backed demonstrations shows of firepower, when someone's first amendment rights were being violated, maybe we'd feel a little differently about those second amendment rights, but that never happens. Because you're not really interested in freedoms, you're interested in firepower, you're interested in intimidation, you're interested in overcompensating, you're interested in scaring away the boogie ben under your beds, you're not interested in freedom. Cowards, really kind of cowardly. I despair on this issue, as does the president, as does every thinking American. It's hard to end this rant, it's hard to know what to say, how to wrap it up. Cause I can't wrap it up on a note of hope. And I can't wrap it up by encouraging you guys who are listening to the sound of my despairing voice to go do this or that, because I don't believe that this is going to change. If classrooms full of dead first graders didn't inspire us to act and make a change, a classroom full of dead college students isn't going to do it either. We're going to live with this. We're going to live with the fear. We're going to live with the crazies. We're going to live with the NRA until one day we decide to not live with this shit anymore until one day we decide to do what Australia did. After there was a massacre 20 years ago, they instituted a nationwide ban on most kinds of guns and they haven't had a massacre like that one since we have a massacre like that one in Australia, like that one in Newton, like that one in Oregon, like that one in Columbine, like that one in Aurora. We have a massacre like that. Three or four times a year now. I was just in Europe for a week. You walk around in Europe and you suddenly realize, oh, I'm not worried that every other asshole on the street has a gun. You see assholes on the street. Plenty of assholes on the street. Plenty of assholes everywhere. But the assholes over there aren't armed the way the assholes over here are. Someday we're going to have to do something about it. Today, unfortunately, probably ain't the day. And now your calls.
4: Hey, Dan. So I just started dating this, like, French guy. And he's, like, really into my ass. And he likes it, you know, like, just, uh, like, very clean and shaven. Like, no hair. Like a baby. Uh, He didn't say that. That's kind of how I feel about it. But anyways, I was wondering, like, what's the best way to, like, shave my butthole? (laughs) Like, uh, because I think I'm bad at it. I don't think I do a very thorough job. Can I go to CVS and get, like, wax? I don't know. I'm also just bad at shaving in in general. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, can you help me out? How often do I shave my butt?
0: I don't know your precise coordinates, but you do mention CVS, the ubiquitous drugstore chain in New York City and also Chicago, tons of CVSs in Chicago. So I'm going to assume you're either in New York or in Chicago, and you really can't swing a dead French cat without hitting a waxer, a place where people get their bits waxed in New York city. And there are almost as many in Chicago. So you have the option of paying a professional to crawl up between your legs and wax that hair away. Not everybody is dexterous enough to hook their ankles behind their ears in front of a mirror propped up on the floor and deftly shave their own hole without shredding their sphincters, which you really don't want to do. You really don't want to cut one of your sphincter muscles with a razor. That is a recipe for ass disaster, for disaster. My suggestion would be if you don't want to get waxed or you can't afford it and you can't shave that hole yourself, that French guy has got to step up to the plate and shave your hole for you. That he can make your hole the hole he wants it to be. He can make that happen for you. It'll be easier for him to crawl between your legs with a razor and very carefully shave your hole for you and for him, really. That's who he's shaving your hole for. He is shaving your hole for himself. Hi,
5: Dan. I'm a 25 year old queer woman from Canada. I just had a question. I just got out of a long term relationship with a woman, and I don't have any preference for who I date if someone is transgendered, female, or male. However, lately I've been dating, just by chance, a lot of different guys, and I find myself having a hard time telling them that my ex-girlfriend was, or my ex, sorry, was a girl or that I don't have a preference. Um, I kind of feel nervous about how they'll respond to that. I know it sounds silly, and I've never been like this before, but lately I've just been censoring myself to not really using pronouns about my ex and... I don't like that. Um, I just, I wonder if people do that as well, other different queer people. I guess I'm nervous to what their response will be. Is that silly or is that something normal and how would you address it? Am I just being stupid?
0: Not being stupid. What you're being is closeted. You're not telling these guys that you're dating now about your ex and the fact that you were in a relationship with a woman because you fear, you, you said yourself, you fear how they might react, how they might respond, whether they respond positively or negatively. So you're letting your anticipation of a possible negative reaction silence you, closet you. And that is stupid and self-defeating. According to that Pew Research poll from just a couple of years ago, nearly three quarters of all bisexual people are not out to the most important people in their lives. Uh, compared to under 25% of lesbian and gay people. This is the single largest contributing factor to bisexual erasure, bisexual invisibility. You are essentially erasing yourself as a bisexual person in these interactions with these men you're dating by allowing them to assume that you are straight, by allowing them to default you. We default to straight unless we speak up because the vast and overwhelming majority of people are straight and people will make that assumption. They shouldn't, but they will, right? If we don't speak up, if we don't out ourselves, if we don't live openly as queers, straight people, unless we're Liberace, and even then they thought he was straight, straight people will think we're them. And you're letting these straight guys that you're dating think you're them. And you're missing an opportunity. You don't want to be with somebody who doesn't know who you are and doesn't love you for who you are. And you don't know if you might hit the fucking bisexual jackpot when you come out to them. Not in having a supportive straight boyfriend who's happy to watch you get it on with another woman, but in having a bisexual boyfriend, potentially. And you, when you come out to them as bi, to these guys, casually, calmly, just by giving them the relevant details, by dropping the pronoun game, in that moment when you tell them your truth, they may open up to you and tell you theirs. And isn't that what this stage, these early stages of these relationships are are supposed to be about that you are sussing each other out, learning more about each other, revealing more about each other to each other in the hopes that there's a real connection there and you're sidestepping. What is an opportunity? Because if you tell them you're by, by mentioning your previous relationship with which was with by mentioning that your previous relationship, long-term relationship was with a woman And they react super negatively. Not somebody you can be in a relationship with. Someone you should be anxious to get the fuck out of that relationship with. Right? And if they react super positively, too positively, creepy positively, if they regard landing a bisexual girlfriend as somehow hitting the three-way jackpot, also someone you might not want to be with over the long term. Unless you can help him see what's fucked up about that. But if he reacts calmly – and supportively and indifferently perhaps and or by sharing his truth about himself awesome you hit the potential long-term relationship boyfriend jackpot
6: hi dan i'm a 26 year old bi woman who recently had her first experience tagging i have a guy friend that i've known for about two years whom i'd always thought was attractive but i rarely date or have sex with men when i told this guy i was interested in him physically he almost immediately asked if I had a strap on and if I would use it on him. As he knows, I normally date women. I gave it a try, and it was incredibly fun for both parties. Within a few days, however, he told me that uh, he plans to move in with a woman he's been seeing for about three months. I was not aware that it was anything more than a casual relationship. And while I'm not hurt by this personally, um, as I did not foresee or want a serious relationship with him, he has since told me he still wants another pegging session with me before he moves in with her next month. Um, He said he still feels uncomfortable discussing his sexual preferences with any woman he's dated. Um, And he actually told me that I am the first woman he ever even asked about pegging. Uh, He said he fears judgment or that he'll be seen as gay or less of a man. So I'm sort of talking about what to do. On the one hand, we both had a lot of fun. On the other, I think he's being an asshole to this woman who is completely unaware of our involvement. And I do not think she'd be happy about it if she found out though I can't say that for sure. I told him before that he should talk to her about pegging if he enjoys it so much, but he has not done so. And yet, on another hand, him being an asshole doesn't make sex any less great. But in the end, I'm not sure if I should be enabling his dishonesty. I will note that we are not in the same social circle. I've never met this woman he's moving in with. I probably never will. But it bothers me on a basic level that he's refusing to be honest with her for fear of
0: rejection or stigma. Um, are you pegging that boy right now? Is your strap on in him?
6: Uh, not, not currently, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> have you strapped him again? Are we too late?
6: Not, I have not pegged him again. Um, he just moved in with that girl, uh-huh. so I, uh, I mean, he, you know, he's still sending me pictures of you know naked muscular women um, that we'd both be interested in and stuff like that, but. Uh, I have not, um, you know, I've tried to keep my
0: distance from him since oh my then. Oh God, that is so sad. You're the pe- you're the truth on the side, not the peace on the side. You're this person <laughs> on the side who knows the truth about him and he can be open with you in a way that he can't allow himself to be open with this person he's actually in a relationship with. How sad is that?
6: Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I want to talk to him more about it. And if I if I met her, I think it would be hard for me to, not talk to her about it she seemed sweet you know when he talked about her and she seems like a good person so it's something that i kind of just want to keep my distance and maybe if he'll listen to me as a like from a friend point of view you know maybe he'll be more open with talking about it with her eventually
0: yeah maybe i think you should fuck some sense into him i think the time to talk to him about how about this maybe well is while you're plowing his ass with your strap-on dildo (laughs) While you're plowing his ass. Did I say that right? I'm a little delirious today.
6: Yes, yes. Um, Yeah, no. And I mean, to be frank, the only other like good development, I guess you could say, is that he talked about maybe bringing her into something between me and him. And I was thinking, you know, if he's upfront about that, then I'm okay with it because there's no more dishonesty. Right. Um, But I worry about the length or or the, I worry about. The extent of his honesty with her.
0: And you should worry about what you would be enabling if you were his piece on the side. A lot of people find themselves in the situation that you're in where there's some sexual activity or desire or a particular kind of partner that someone's attracted to. And they're so ashamed of that and closed off about that, that they can't tell anybody in their life who matters to them. And who they care about. I'm not saying he doesn't care about you in some way. You know, he can care about you in some way, but his relationship with you isn't consequential in the way his relationship with family, friends, or someone that he's thinking about as a girlfriend or potential future, you know, spouse might be. There's a lot at stake in those relationships, not a lot at stake in his relationship with you. Because if it goes south, he can walk away from you and you're in different social circles and worlds. And there's not a lot of overlap. And so he's very free with you because the stakes are low. Even if he likes you, even if you guys have a rapport, the stakes are low because he's not invested in you as – in a future with you in the way he's invested in a future with her. And that's so sad and you see that a lot with people who you know, have vanilla sex with the boyfriend at home and go to some dungeon to do what they really want to do or go home to the (laughs) skinny, skinny girlfriend and then on the down low – Go out and date the big beautiful woman or have sex with the big beautiful woman that they are more attracted to physically, but too ashamed of that attraction to actually date that person openly. And in your case, you know, he has these transgressive desires or whatever, however, he feels about being fucked in the ass by, a, you know, a woman. He has these transgressive desires that he's ashamed of and hasn't figured out how to incorporate them into relationship land. So it's peace on the side land and cut off from my world land where he can be fully himself and open about who he is and what he wants. And if you keep fucking him, you're really enabling that, right? You're helping him keep those two worlds separate.
6: Yeah, yeah. And I think it would be better for him in the long run to have them integrated. I mean, exactly. I mean it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me like if it's not with me. I'd much rather see him getting fucked in the ass by his girlfriend and being entirely happy with it. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's
1: a great guy.
0: Right. And he needs to – and that's the perfect word. He needs to integrate those desires. And I think that you – because he's still reaching out to you, still talking to you, really being himself with you, that I think – you or being this part of himself that he's not allowing himself to be with his girlfriend. I think you should keep talking to him and drawing him out and saying this is something that you either – that you need to bring into your relationship life and your relationship sex or it's something that's going to destroy your relationship. It's, it's a ticking time bomb because if you, this is something you can't live without it, this is something you're going to go out and do on the side when you get caught. Yeah, the deception only gets worse and worse. Right. And when you get caught, it's going to blow up. And if she finds out not just that you fucked somebody else, but finds out the details, then your secret could come tumbling out all at once to everyone in your life. That if she's really wow. angry and hurt in her anger, she may out you as this butt fucky. Yeah, right. And you you don't want to do that. You want to integrate these things. And it's actually a really good sign that he's talking to you about a three way with her or somehow bringing you into that space with the two of them. That could be great. That could be a way to broach the subject. And that that leads me to believe that there's something about his relationship with his girlfriend where it's not necessarily exclusive, where they've talked about having sex with other people together or alone. If this is on the table. This is a possibility that he's held out in front of you. So, you know, you could be doing the Lord's work here by continuing to draw (laughs) him out, by by having this conversation with him about integrating these things while dangling over his little puckered hole the possibility that this could happen again. That you could do this thing that you both enjoyed so much again that he really loved again and you'd be happy to do that for him but you're going to do it under a certain set of circumstances. You're going to do it without it being cheating. You're going to do it without it being a ticking time bomb that you've helped him construct in the heart of his relationship. And you're going to do it in a way where you are not participating in an infidelity.
6: Yeah. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Have fun and call and give us an update. We're all going to want to hear if uh, this goes down. Thank you. I will make sure I keep you updated. All right. Thanks so much. Bye.
7: Hey Dan, um, I have an interesting predicament, sort of. I uh, take a really long time when I'm having sex to come, and that's true, actually,
4: well, whether I'm solo
7: or with my wife or what have you. So, what, are, you know, what do you say? Uh, how can I change this? It's been kind of frustrating. Yeah, you we'd know, like to sometimes get it done a little faster, but you know, I take so damn long, well, you know, it's just going you know, to come out at some point and And oh, that's what I'm
0: wondering. Thanks, Dan. The Mayo Clinic has a list posted online of all the possible causes of delayed or impaired ejaculation. A list I found my way to thanks to Mike Pearl and his terrific article at vice.com, which we talked about a few weeks ago, death grip syndrome, internet myth, or penis ruiner. The list at the Mayo Clinic is enormous. The physical causes, Birth defects, certain birth defects, injury to the pelvic nerve, certain infections, prostate surgery, neurological diseases, hormone-related conditions, retrograde ejaculation, which is a condition in which the semen goes backward into the bladder rather than out of the penis. That's terrifying. Psychological causes, depression, relationship problems, anxiety about performance is poor. Anxiety about performance, poor body image, cultural or religious taboos, differences between the reality of sex with the partner and sexual fantasies. And then there are the medications that can induce delayed or impaired ejaculation. Some antidepressants, certain high blood pressure medications, certain diuretics, some antipsychotic medications, some antiseizure medications, and alcohol. If you eliminate all of that, if you go through that list at the Mayo Clinic of the causes of delayed ejaculation one by one, and you're certain it's none of those things, then you may just need to ask your wife to play with your tits. Some people, they're fucking and fucking and fucking. You grab their tits and they're coming. Some people, they're fucking and fucking and fucking. You start talking dirty to them. You say something insanely shitty, crazy, dirty, smutty to them and suddenly they're coming. So my advice to you would be if you eliminate all these things on the list at the Mayo Clinic's website as possible causes for your delayed ejaculation is to add stuff to the PIV. If all you're doing is the PIV and expecting that to get you off quickly – Or promptly, we know that's not happening for you. It's not happening quickly or promptly for you. And you need some additional input. We're going to take a quick break from the calls to talk with Rachel Persole. She's an Equality Matters Research Associate. Equality Matters is sort of the LGBT subdivision of Media Matters, which is a terrific truth-squatting website. You should check it out. If the right-wing media drives you crazy, Media Matters and Equality Matters is a tonic. Hey, Rachel, thanks so much for jumping on the phone.
8: Hey, Dan. Great to be here.
0: So what is it that you've been doing for the last year at Equality Matters?
9: So um, I have been monitoring LGBT media, but uh, I've taken on a special, special project to look at how Fox News treats trans people and trans issues.
0: I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess they treat trans people very, very well. (laughs)
9: Uh, You're a little bit wrong. I'm wrong? Um,
2: Really? I got that
0: wrong? That's a first. I've never been wrong on the podcast before. Go ahead and correct me. How does Fox News treat trans people and trans issues on their broadcasts?
9: So Fox News manages to do kind of the impossible and turn trans people who, you know, super marginalized group face a ton of discrimination
0: and violence Fox news
9: and violence I mean could go on and about mm-hmm. a ton of statistics but Fox manages to kind of flip the narrative there and somehow turn trans people into villains make them seem threatening kind of greedy and you know like they deserve to be mistreated
0: they make them seem like they're greedy for all the bathrooms
9: all the bathrooms on your taxpayer dollars You name it, um, Fox News turns trans people into villains.
0: What do you think is the the motive behind this? Because we've witnessed this as there's been less currency in attacking lesbian and gay people and bi people, less fear of lesbian, gay, and bi people with vast majorities of Americans now knowing someone who's lesbian, gay, or bi. There's been this shift to attacking just the T in the LGBT, going after trans people, Is it just a crime of opportunity? Is it because most Americans don't know a trans person and so the homophobia is less effective so they're just shifting all this bullshit to transphobia?
9: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Dan. Um, Only like 5% of Americans actually know someone who's trans. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot easier for Fox to mistreat trans people, to mock them, to spread misinformation about them, um, without viewers thinking, huh, you know, that doesn't, that's not true. Or that doesn't jive with the neighbor. trans people
0: I know. That's, not, you know. that's not what my trans cousin or, or uncle or friend or coworker is like.
9: Yeah, exactly. And another way, Footbox continues to do that by not allowing trans guests to come on there. So I did a counting project where I watched every single mention, every single time that Fox talked about trans people over the past year and there was 20 something different segments full segments about transgender people without the network inviting a single transgender guest that's to speak about trans people
0: that's appalling
9: yeah and you know fox has no problem inviting anti lgbt hate groups to talk about trans people but it's, they don't even give trans people the opportunity or the chance to defend themselves from some of the really awful things that they say.
0: And this stuff is dangerous. Like the the transphobia and and, and equality matters and media matters have both done a really remarkable job of documenting the atrocities there on Fox and the transphobia that Fox pumps into homes in red States all around the country is toxic and dangerous because there are vulnerable trans people out there and vulnerable young trans people in homes that are blasting Fox news round the clock. And it literally puts them in mortal peril that this can get people killed, what Fox News is doing.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Demonizing trans people, making trans people look like predators who are after you. In the same way that they attempted, the right-wing hate machine attempted, to make gay people look like we were trying to destroy the family and finally that collapsed because people saw through it. But right now they're kind of successfully, Fox News, making trans people look like they are doing this. They are pretending to be women, trans women, so they can access... Bathrooms and attack cisgender women, which is just bullshit.
9: Yeah, we've, I mean, we've completely debunked that myth. We've talked to experts in 12 different states, we've talked to uh, school representatives everywhere. No one has ever seen an instance of a man pretending to be a woman so he could sneak into a bathroom and somehow get away with sexually assaulting a
0: woman. I debunked it it myself a while ago by doing a Google search was on woman attacked in restroom and there were plenty of examples, all Mm -hmm. cisgendered men. They weren't taking the time to dress up as women and pretend to be women to get into the bathroom. They were just walking into the bathroom and attacking someone. They didn't have to sneak the fuck Mm -hmm. in. Mm
9: -hmm. And it, I mean, regardless, it remains a crime to assault someone in the bathroom. That's not going to go away because we're allowing trans women into bathrooms.
0: Now, uh, I have sort of a self-serving question. So Media Matters and Equality Matters done a great job documenting really the toxic bullshit that Fox puts out there, dangerous bullshit that is going to get people assaulted and killed. And it just seems to me, I'm constantly mystified by the fact that there's no demonstrations at Fox News HQ, like the epicenter of this, the the, the Death Star, where all this stuff is being shot out of, is in Midtown Manhattan, and right. there are plenty I mean, of queer people, plenty of trans people in New York City, and. Where's the demonstration? Where's the activist accountability? Where are the people packing into that lobby one day and making it harder for these assholes to do their job putting trans people at risk all over the country?
9: I mean, I have the same question. Having personally had to sit through um, an entire year of Fox's trans coverage. um,
0: Are you as surprised as I I am?
9: I think people just don't know. People assume that Fox is bad and progressive people don't really watch Fox and they know that their their relatives or other people who watch Fox, they just kind of shut it out and they think, oh, Fox is just going to keep doing what they're doing. They're not going to change. But um, when people do sort of step up against Fox, they, they do sometimes change their coverage. And I think, you know, we're there to be some sort of demonstration at Fox, Um, they could at least put one trans person on air as a guest to just give one person an opportunity to say, you know, trans people aren't mentally ill. We're not assaulting people in bathrooms. We're just trying to get basic equal rights.
0: You would like to see that demonstration happen. You would like to see your work inspire that demonstration, would you not?
9: Yeah, I mean, I'd like for people to know what's happening at Fox and for Fox to start practicing some real journalism when it comes to trans people instead of just, you know, treating them as a punching bag and just as, you know, a joke, something to make fun of.
0: Fox News headquarters right there in Midtown Manhattan, Kitty Corner from Rockefeller Center serviced by multiple subway lines. Let's call the demo. I don't want to tell trans folks what to do, but it seems to me someone who can't go to a college campus without being protested by trans people accusing me of being transphobic, that some of that activist energy should be directed at the Death Star. And it's (laughs) time for the demo at Fox News HQ demanding better treatment, demanding fair and balanced coverage, and demanding an end to this toxic shit that Fox News is shoveling into the heads of red staters and assholes all over the country, some of whom are the parents of trans children.
9: Yeah, that's the most disturbing part. You know, when Bill O'Reilly gets on air and says that he would not allow his child to be trans or that parents who support trans kids are guilty of child abuse. If a parent who doesn't know anything about trans issues is listening to that and then their child comes out to them as trans, you can just imagine their reaction. It's not going to be a good supportive one in all likelihood.
0: Rachel, personally, go to equalitymatters.org and look for her work and look at what they've pulled together. Look at the clips, look at the reports on the damaging, dangerous transphobia being pumped out by Fox News. And let's do something about it. Thank you, Rachel, for joining us.
6: Thanks so much for having me, Dan. Hello, Dan In the tech savvy at-risk youth. I am calling because I have a boyfriend that I've been dating for about nine months now. I'm 25 years old and he's 33. Um, He's the best guy I've ever been with, gets me like no other guy does. He's good in bed, but there's something weird going on. I broke up with my last boyfriend of four years before him and we started dating about nine months to almost a year after I broke up with this last boyfriend and I got used to Masturbating and watching porn. And I have come to find with sleeping with him that I can't orgasm like I used to with my last boyfriend. And that's because with my last boyfriend, I never masturbated. And I know you talk about with guys like the death grip and whatever, with them not being able to masturbate in women. I feel like I can't masturbate. I mean, I feel like he can't orgasm with my boyfriend because I've masturbated too much because I'm used to the vibrations. So, we're moving in together next month and I suggested I get like just a clit vibrator just to make it feel like while he's having sex with me that it's also kind of like a vibrator because it will vibrate my clit. Do you think that's a good idea or is it me just bringing masturbation into the bedroom? I don't know. I've never heard of anyone having the problem that I have where you masturbate too much as a woman and can't orgasm like you used to, I'm used to hearing your calls where it's guys that masturbate too hard or whatever and can't orgasm like they used to. I just want to know if you think it's a good idea to gradually bring in like, you know, just some clitoral vibrator to bring in the masturbation part of my sex life beforehand into the bedroom to where I can start orgasming because it's really frustrating for both of us that I can't orgasm. I would appreciate your opinion on both the fact that women can also death grip their own vaginas with masturbating too much with vibrators and also bringing that into the bedroom to kind of like ease their way back into orgasming again. I would appreciate your opinion. Thank you.
0: for our conversation a couple of weeks ago with Mike Pearl, staff writer at vice.com. We're not calling it death grip syndrome anymore. Uh, we haven't come up with an alternate Name for this phenomena that does exist where people carve a deep groove in themselves with a particular masturbatory style that then makes it difficult for them to respond in partnered sex to the different and sometimes subtler sensations of somebody else's orify. We don't have a name for it, but we're not calling it death grip syndrome anymore because it's not just about fists and grip. It's about habits and style. Probably asked Tim Gunn to come up with a new name for it since it's about – style. So your problem, you ended a relationship and it was years until the next guy. Oh, nine months, only nine months. So your problem, you got out of a relationship and you masturbated for nine months with a vibrator and porn. And now with the new guy, you're not climaxing and you climaxed fine with the previous guy and partnered sex without any vibrators in the room. So what's the issue? Well, I wish you'd left a phone number because I would have called you back to ask you if we're talking about the ability to climax during penis and vagina sex or the ability to climax at all during oral sex or digital manipulation or whatever else. It could be if you're if talking about PIV sex and with your previous boyfriend you were coming just from getting fucked. It could be about the grind, the size and shape of his penis, the angle of penetration. It could be that. That's different about your new boyfriend's penis and his style and the grind and what's different about PIV with him may not be hitting you in the same spots that PIV with your previous boyfriend hit you, that you got the clitoral stimulation you needed from PIV with Mr. Nine Months Ago, not getting that with Mr. Right Now. And so you need additional focused clitoral stimulation in order to get off. And that could be... Your own hands, your own fingers. That could be oral sex from him before the PIV starts or after the PIV's over. Or it could be incorporating a vibrator into your partnered sex with him, bringing the vibrator into the room and demystifying it, using it as a tool. You're also 33 years old. And what gets us off when we're younger and, you know, you reach a tipping point, you reach a transition stage and it can happen quickly – What gets us off when we're younger may not be the thing that gets us off when we're a little bit older, that we may require more intense stimulation later in life to kick those banged up old genitals into gear and to get us off. So somebody who didn't need a vibrator at 25 or didn't need a toy or didn't need their tits played with or whatever else didn't need dirty talk at 25 to get off male or female at 35 might need that additional stimulation in whatever form it comes. So I don't want you to fight this too hard. Leave the vibrator alone. Now that you're having partnered sex again, maybe stop masturbating for a while. Stop watching porn. Let the sexual tension build up for him and see if after a while of this buildup, perhaps frustrated buildup because if you don't come in the moment, you don't get to come. If you don't come during sex, save it, plow it into the next morning, plow it into two hours later and see if the old girl doesn't start pounding out those orgasms again. If you make a good faith effort, if you go a few weeks or a couple of months and you're not climaxing still and you've shaken it up and you've have different positions and you're playing with your clitoris with your own hands while he fucks you and it's still not working and he's going down on you and you're not getting there. Maybe your body has changed. Maybe what you need now is different And if the vibrator in his hands gets you there, gives you what you need now to get off, bring the vibrator into the room. Incorporate it. It is your friend.
10: Hey, Dan. I am a 37-year-old married straight woman in Seattle who has a relatively young child, just over one. And as I was picking up takeout this evening, I started getting back in my car and noticed a dude in the bushes across from a restaurant that is notorious for being one where families with small children frequent. Um, He kind of moved away from my car as I noticed him and as I was getting in my car it seemed a little weird so I looked back and I noticed that his pants were around his knees. That was all I could see because of the bushes. I drove away and I thought about it and I pulled over and I called the cops and told them about what was going on because it felt really weird and knowing that I sometimes frequent that restaurant with my daughter. I wouldn't want somebody staring at the door where all these people with their tiny children are. I just, I feel really weird about having done it and I am having second thoughts about doing it and I'm wondering what you think.
0: Most people who engage in flashing don't upgrade to rape or downgrade to rape. There's that belief that today's flasher is tomorrow's rapist and that's just not true. The research shows that that's not true. Yes, some rapists flash or were flashers, but it doesn't follow that all flashers are future potential rapists. In fact, only a small minority of flashers are future potential rapists. I think you did the right thing in calling the police. Uh, You seem to – I think you did the right thing in calling the police. Somebody who's doing this outside a family restaurant is an asshole who deserves legal trouble And really, in some small way, when you call the police on a flasher, aren't you giving them what they kind of really want? Which is attention, even negative attention. Some people who do this sort of shit and what they're getting off on partly is making other people feel uncomfortable and unsafe. But also what they're getting off on is the fear that they may get caught. So if you help them get caught because they made you feel unsafe, and afraid and you get their asses caught, you're kind of giving them something that equal parts they wanted and that they fucking deserve, which is a great big legal headache.
8: Hi, Dan, I'm a 20 something year old bisexual woman. I've been dating this guy for almost a year now. I really, really like him. The sex is awesome, but there's one kind of, Nag. He really wants me to talk down to him during sex. I'm very much more of a sub, and he claims to be much more versatile, but I know he likes to be the sub sometimes. And so we do that, but I don't really know how to say that kind of stuff to him. He wants me to call him the dirty man, and a slut, and a whore, and just these kind of what feels like terrible things. And he does it to me sometimes and I'm okay with it, but I just can't bring myself to say mean things to him, even though I know he knows I don't mean it. How do I do this? Cause I really want to make him happy. I know it's not, an, it's, I know how to dirty talk because I I know what you say, you know, say what you're going to do, say what you're doing, say what you've done. But this isn't really like that, is it?
0: You're not really being mean to him when you call him these quote-unquote mean names. You're being nice to him. That's the sort of BDSM dom-sub power exchange paradox, right? You're being horrible to somebody, which is their favorite thing. So you're actually being super nice to them, and you're getting them off, and that's a wonderful thing. If you can't believe that, if you can't just accept that, that when you call him a dirty man and a slut and a whore, you're You're not insulting him. You're making him happy. Then ask him what he is. You know, in the same way that I tell people that this is how dirty talk works. Tell them what you're going to do. Tell them what you're doing. Tell them what you did sometimes somebody wants their partner to engage in dirty talk and they're incapable of doing it. So you have to ask them questions. You have to say, what are you doing? And they tell you, and that becoming a dialogue makes it possible for them to talk dirty to you. But expecting, asking them to just bust out the dirty talk. Some people can't do that, but a dialogue, a dirty dialogue where you say, what are you doing? I'm fucking you. They can do that. What are you going to do? I'm going to fuck you. What are you doing? I am fucking you. What did you just do? I fucked you. Somebody who can't do it themselves can do the call and response. So if you can't bust the names out and you want to keep seeing this guy, ask him who he is instead of you having to say, you're a dirty whore. Ask him what he is and let him say, I'm a dirty whore. Workable compromise.
11: Hi Dan. This is a 23 year old bisexual woman living in Oakland, California, who is in a monogamous ish relationship for the last two and a half years. I say monogamous-ish because my partner and I like to go to swingers' parties and have threesomes or foursomes, but we have yet to open our relationship up fully. I essentially have a question about etiquette when it comes to threesomes, foursomes, or any any multi-person scenario. My partner and I had our first foursome earlier this year with a pretty amazing couple. Everyone was mutually attracted to each other, and there was a lot of chemistry. But unfortunately, when we got down to the nitty-gritty at this couple's house, the other man essentially started eating me out and touching me like he had never done this before. And I mean needle in a haystack. Maybe I should have shaved an arrow and my pubic hair pointing out my genitals for him bad. I tried pushing his head in a general direction and moving my hips as well. And I got nothing. My partner and his partner had an amazing time. And I even managed to finish this, this guy off twice, but me, um, I was left frustrated and unsatisfied. Really, the donuts I got after the foursome were the best thing I had in me all night. Uh, Essentially, is there a courteous slash not embarrassing way to tell someone that what they are doing is not pleasurable, even when two other people are nearby and could hear anything you say? Any advice would be helpful. My partner and I are definitely looking to meet more people, um, but I'm just worried about this scenario happening again.
0: So joining me to help field this call, answer this question, Christopher Frizzell. He's the editor-in-chief of The Stranger, Seattle's only newspaper. Thanks for jumping in.
2: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So when someone eats your pussy or neglects your clitoris, how? Do, what's your approach? What would you advise this woman to do about how shabbily her clitoris and her pussy were treated? In
2: this uh, move on. Find someone new. Try something else. All right. Now let's talk about
0: the real reason I wanted you here. <laughs> You've written this enormous feature for The Stranger about killer whales. About a particular killer whale named Lolita. Of all things. Of all things. Because some creepy old guy's
2: in love with it. Is it's that what it is? Disgusting, they right? Take a wild animal out of the sea and then give it a name that means young girl who's gonna get fucked. <laughs> and this may seem like a reach. Uh, tell us quickly about Lolita. She's part of the southern resident community, which is a kind of killer whale that we know more about than any other killer whale on the planet. Uh, the oldest killer whale known to science is a southern resident. She's 104. So Lolita was one of the first killer whales ever captured? No, she was captured about five years after the orca capture industry started. She was probably the 30th killer whale captured. Mm-hmm. But from 1965 to 1976, every killer whale put in captivity in SeaWorld and everywhere else came out of Puget Sound. So Seattle is the... Seattle's it. Original sin. Seattle, is
0: yes, is complicit in these enslaved killer whales at Sea World. That is true. And we are sitting in Seattle. Seattle we has it. Yes. Orca blood on its collective hands or fins. Yes, and that is what your feature is about. Yes. This, however, is a sex and
2: relationship advice podcast, and your feature is about Lolita, who lives where now at the Miami Seaquarium. It's the only. Uh, it's the only orca captive industry uh, venue other than SeaWorld in the United States, and it's the smallest tank in North America for orcas. How big is Lolita, and how big is her tank? Lolita is 20 feet long, and her tank is 20 feet deep. That's obscene. So she can't even dive. That's obscene. It's gross.
0: And hopefully your feature is going to raise awareness about this lonely, marooned,
2: tortured orca. And as of a couple months ago, officially endangered. She was added to the Endangered Species Act. Her kind of killer whale was added in 2005, but there was an exemption for killer whales that were already in captivity. And earlier this year, the federal government removed that exemption. So go to thestranger.com if you want to read about this forgotten killer whale. We hear about,
0: you know, everyone saw the documentary Blackfish. We hear about the killer whales at SeaWorld who are in captivity and being abused. We haven't heard about this one in Miami on the other side of the country, who is from the sounds of the dimensions of that tank, being tortured. It's very sad. And killer whales are highly social animals and really smart, but that's not why you're here. This is a sex and relationship podcast. They're also (laughs) (laughs) non-monogamous. So Chris was telling me about his feature and because of who – I just bring this out in people. He started telling me (laughs) about the sex lives of killer whales and I was a little – Flabbergast, I have to say that if Tony Perkins and Brian Brown and Mike Huckabee are right, these killer whales are going to tiny little tanks in hell when they die. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the sex lives of killer whales. Okay, so it's a couple, it's very interesting. Not only are they polyamorous, they have sex in groups. The southern residents have a thing called a greeting ceremony, which is a several hours or several days long, essentially group grope, where if someone's not treating their clitoris right, they move on to the next guy, and they move on to the next guy, and they move on to the next guy, the next guy for days. Until uh, they find someone who knows how to treat their whale clit right. That's exactly right. The other cool thing about killer whales is they have been feminists long before human beings. They've existed for hundreds of thousands of years before human beings. And killer whales stay with their families their whole lives. At least southern residents do. That sounds horrifying. And the women are in charge. So the, more, the, longer, the older a woman gets and the more children a woman has, the more powerful the woman is. Wow. It's fascinating. Do you want to know something perverted about killer whales? I want to know only perverted things about killer whales. So the women, after menopause, live a long time. They're the, one of the only mammals... Other than humans who do. And the women, the post-menopausal killer whales, really make the most of it. <laughs> In what way? They, they take up knitting. They wear red hats with purple <laughs> scarves that do not go. No, they take a card from your play. And the older women teach the youngest males how to have sex. So the grandmothers teach the two to four-year-old males how to have sex so that when they're old enough to have sex with a girl their own age, She's fertile, they'll be successful. So they have a post-reproductive purpose in the clan, other than hunting, which is also to teach sex to the boys.
0: Is this a model that we should adopt or is this a model that you think Hillary
2: Clinton will foist upon us if she should win the election? Absolutely. I think killer whale sex is, is a good idea.
0: Were you shocked by what you learned about killer whale sex as you
2: did the research for this feature? Yeah, because it's like humans, but it's inverted. It's The whole thing is women are in charge. Women are in charge and non-monogamy is the order of the day. It's, it's just a funny inversion of what you would expect. Also, it's surprising to find an animal whose connect, who's, uh, connections to their families and whose social lives and whose affection is more profound and pronounced than human beings. And yet we have this one locked up in a tank all by itself in Miami. Because some guy in Seattle when he was 29 decided he wanted to see if he could teach one tricks. The park says because she's post-reproductive, they kind of indicate that she would be useless. But that does not square with the science because post-reproductive killer whales have an obligation to teach the youngest males how to have sex. They have an obligation to lead the clan. They, They take care of adrift adult male killer whales who, if their mom dies, they're very likely to die immediately because they don't know what to do with themselves. So they act as matriarchal surrogates. And they also lead the way in hunting. And even if they're postmenopausal
0: and can't produce any offspring, that doesn't give you the right to torture them eternally for the rest of their lives. That's true. Even if she can't produce offspring, this Lolita, this killer whale who's imprisoned in Miami, it's still an outrage and a scandal that this killer whale is suffering.
2: And And the park refers to the dolphins who have to share this tiny little tank with her as her pod, even though a pod is a family. It has a distinct scientific meaning. And she's by herself. So you have these group grope loving killer whales who are very communal and who, who literally sleep touching each other. The family touches them, you know, touches each other their and whole some lives. Some
0: part of the killer whale lifestyle <laughs> is not so attractive. Yeah, I don't want to things sleep that are weird in a about heap it. with my immediate family.
2: Although they eat only Chinook salmon, the killer whales out Sounds here. Delicious. Is, they have good taste. But I don't want to sleep in a heap with my brothers and sisters and my mother and
0: my aunts and my grandma. I really don't. Okay. I would never get a whale boner
2: ever again in my whole entire life. Okay, you can stay human. Where can people read your feature about Lolita? At thestranger.com. And what should they do about it? Uh, they should write to Miami Seaquarium and tell them to free her. Free Lolita, which is a slogan that could be misinterpreted <laughs> if it was just a bumper sticker. That's true. You
0: might get followed home if you had free Lolita on your car. So be careful before you bust out any t-shirts or bumper stickers (laughs) that you're very clear that we're talking about a killer whale and not a killer A
2: 12-year-old girl from a novel.
0: Yes. Thank you, Christopher, for running in.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: We worked together. We worked very closely together for a decade. I've never been able to have you on the podcast because usually you're not in my... There's, our Venn
2: diagram doesn't overlap at all, but this once. That's true. And I, But I listen to the podcast while working out. It gives me energy. Well, thank you.
7: Mm-hmm. Hi, Dan. I've been in a primary relationship with someone for seven years. A couple of years ago, our sex life dropped, not in terms of where it was during the first six months to a year of our relationship, but significantly. Based on a recommendation of a friend, I started keeping track on an app on my phone of how often we were having sex and what type of sex we were having. I did this in part because I wanted actual empirical evidence, you know, so I wasn't saying we never have sex or this always happens. I find that kind of thinking hyperbolic and not helpful in addressing a problem. The thing is my partner really had a problem with this. Even when I wouldn't bring up what had or hadn't happened and there were stretches of both, she would tell me every now and then that it made her uncomfortable She said that she didn't like knowing that I was keeping track of what she was doing, that it felt too personal. For me, it felt like I was keeping track of what we were both doing and that our lack of sex was becoming a problem. So it was something that affected me personally. Finally, after we went to sex positive counseling and things improved, I relented and stopped entering the data into the app on my phone. This made her very happy. What I've wondered was, was I in the wrong? Or was she? Does someone have a right to keep track of the sex they're having? Or are they crossing a line personally for a partner who says they're uncomfortable when they do so?
0: I'm conflicted. Because if you were keeping a diary and just writing down the things that happened to you that day and your impressions of the world and when you did have sex with the mate, you made a note that, you know, that we had sex is what we did. It was awesome. Or it wasn't so awesome, but it's been awesome before. It'll be awesome again. Whatever you wanted to say. You can keep your private thoughts in a little journal that you lock with a little heart-shaped key. And I wouldn't have a problem with that. And I would say you have a total right to jot things down and keep a diary. But an app, there's something cold about creating this data set. And it may be your intent what you intended to do with the data set. You know, With a diary, you want you know 10 years from now to flip back through the pages and remind yourself what you were doing then and how awesome it was and have a place where you stored those memories because our brains, things fall out of them. But our diaries, things don't fall out of them. But this app, this tool, you are creating this data set as an empiricist and I address you as a fellow empiricist. You're creating this data set so you can throw it in her face, so you can confront her with the inadequacy of the pace at which you guys are fucking and that would make me if i was your partner knowing that every time we had sex a notation was going to be made as if jane goodall was perched in a corner at the other side of the room it would make me feel less sexy so you would be getting the opposite if i was your wife or girlfriend you'd be getting the opposite of what you hope to get by creating this data set you'd be getting a whole fuck of a lot less sex out of me If every time I fucked you, I knew a notation was going to be made in the little Jane Goodall chimp's fucking app in your phone. So I'm with your girlfriend. I'm with your wife. And you don't need this data set. You really don't. Because you have your words and you can use your words and you can say things like, I wish we were having more sex. I love you and I want to be intimate. I want us to get things fired up again. And you don't then need to say... And here is the flow chart. Here is the spreadsheet to prove that we are not having enough sex. You don't need that. There's something cold, commodifying harsh about that. Your wife, your girlfriend, I forget which she is. She's not an employee with sales targets to meet that involve your dick. She is your partner, and there should be some. Tenderness, some compassion, some humor, and a little less measuring and data gathering when it comes to these sorts of conversations about your shared sex life.
6: Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 30 something year old in New York City who is having a problem that you might not help with, but I don't know. Uh, I work for a company, and I'm the only woman in my group of 20 to 25 men in IT. I'm okay with that. I'm a tomboy. I'm cool with the rest of them, but one guy yesterday made jokes about me getting raped by another coworker after other said coworker had murdered everyone uh It wasn't really funny. I told him to knock it off. He throughout the day continued to pester me to tell me I need to lighten up. I need to get a sense of humor. He was just keeping it one hundred percent with me. Other coworkers are around other people saw my discomfort. And yet this guy, it's not unusual for him to joke about women or me being sexually assaulted. Um, It's not really something that I can keep quiet about anymore. I wrote an email to my boss. I'm waiting to hear back. But how do I handle this? This guy got in my face four or five hours after the incident and went, what's good? What's good is that I want his head on a platter but you can't say that at work without getting fired. And I don't have enough money in my bank account to not get fired. I'm afraid of retaliation for reporting this. I'm uncomfortable in my workspace. Everyone's going to say that I'm a woman and I'm overreacting, which is something that people say to negate female arguments when things like this cross a proper workplace behavior line.
0: If there are twenty five, twenty 20 to 25 people just in the IT department at the company where you work, presumably there's an HR department at the company where you work. I would, if I were you, sidestep the boss for the moment and take it to the HR department. But you've already approached the boss and you're waiting for a response. In the meantime, document the atrocities. Take notes. Talk to your coworkers who witnessed this via email, not in an accusatory way about why didn't you say something, why didn't you step up, which they should have. They should have fucking said something. They should have stepped up. But just get some documentation that this interaction happened and get it calmly so people can't say that you're blowing up or being furious or, in a sexist way, dismiss your completely legitimate complaints and anger and discomfort at what's been done to you in this workplace. I don't know what kind of company you work for, but tech companies have a terrible reputation right now for sexist hiring practices, for low representation, low hiring rates of uh, minorities, and for women not feeling safe in those spaces and those places, women not feeling safe in tech. It would be a real black eye for your company for something like this to tumble out in public. I don't think that that's what you lead with because then that seems like you're going DEFCON 4 a little too quickly. But that's the reality that this, if this comes out, would give the company a black eye and they don't want a black eye, which is why you want a lot of documentation so that if they push you out, when you do what you should do, what you do, what would be in the best interest of this company, even if the company can't recognize it, which is to complain and have this corrected, have this guy either called on the carpet and read the riot act or fired. If you do all of that and they push you out, If instead they push you out, if instead you lose your job, then you hit the button and take this public and sue, 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 sue. Hopefully it won't come to that. Hopefully your boss and the HR department at the company where you work will recognize that the problem here is an asshole dude in a department with 24 men and one woman making rape jokes. That he's the problem, not you. And that's what you go in with. You go in with the expectation that they're not going to regard you as a problem, that they're going to obviously see that this is a problem under title IX, I believe it's a problem creating an unsafe space, unsafe workplace. They can't have that. And you shouldn't have to put up with it.
4: But a straight single male, a 27 years old, Southern California. Okay, basically I'm having uh, an, an issue with oh, a relationship. A non relationship, yeah at least. I want it to be a relationship. But um so there's a girl I met at work, she's awesome, and we went out, it is about a week now that I've I've been seeing her. We clicked right away, we had a great connection, I felt like uh, we both pretty much established that we were into each other. And then, um, you know, after seeing her, you know, again, everything went well. There was, like, no lull in the conversation. But when we hung out, everything seemed great. I had a good time. I think she did, too. Um, she told me that she was comfortable dating me. And likewise, because, you know, we worked together. So there could, you know, have potentially been a, you know, awkwardness there. But she seems cool with it. Anyways, now I get, like, a message from her after I'm trying to set up, like, another date that she's saying she wants to keep it casual. What does that mean? Like, I'm worried now that either she wants to put me in the friend zone or that she just wants to like, fuck other guys. And mind you, we haven't had sex ourselves yet. So, and it's only been, I know it's like a week, so I'm probably getting ahead of myself. But again, I just really felt like we clicked and I felt like this was going somewhere, even though it was kind of fast. And now, you know, I feel like I have to pump the brakes because it seems like we're in two different places.
0: Uh, so I listened to your call and I'm curious if you now know what she meant by she wants to keep it casual because I have really no idea what she meant by that. That's one of those phrases that people deploy that could mean anything that could mean welcome to the friend zone. That can mean I'm really interested in you, but it's going a little too fast. That could mean right now I'm not ready to be exclusive with just one person. That could mean anything. Has she told you yet what it meant?
4: Yeah, since then, uh, things have been going a lot better. Like she just had a, like a hard breakup. And, um, I guess at the time she just wanted to keep things like casual as far as stating each other. And, and I wasn't sure, you know, necessarily if she, you know, seeing other people or what, but since then, you know, like we've gotten more comfortable with each other and, uh, we're, we're together now. So.
0: Oh, good. So uh, you, you, good. you panicked. Yeah. (laughs) And actually you used a phrase that I think is exactly correct. It is what she was asking you to do. You, you wondered if you needed just to pump the brakes a little and you must have done that because she's clearly comfortable enough with you not rushing this, that she's willing to continue to see you.
4: Exactly. Yeah. Well,
0: you, you're, I was listening to your call and I was feeling like if I didn't get you on the phone, I might have to beat you up. Uh, And just to bring you to your senses, because you've only been, quote unquote, dating this girl for a week. And it sounds like you're picking out China patterns and hiring a band for the wedding.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I was getting a little ahead of myself. I agree.
0: You were. You were fantasizing about what this relationship could be before you really knew who she actually is. And that sometimes scares people because that will make people feel like I don't matter here. This person is fantasizing about a life And has ideas about what they want and they're just sort of casting me like I'm an actor and I'm going to have to play this role for them. And they're not really taking the time to get to know me. That's why you need to – even if you feel uncasual about somebody, if in the first week or two you're just really excited, really infatuated, just besotted, you need to hold that back a little bit. You need to demonstrate to that person that continuing to date you doesn't mean that they're winding up with here comes a 35-year-old pop cultural reference, a bunny boiler, that continuing to date you means that – They're with somebody who has a sense about boundaries and somebody else's comfort level. And they want you to be excited about dating them. Everybody wants the person that they're dating to be excited about dating them, but they want to see that you have the emotional skills and the social skills to literally hold that in check initially. Mm -hmm. Not to act indifferent when you feel you really like them, but to acknowledge that you guys don't really know each other well enough to make any sort of commitments about, it working out. Uh, I, I just feel like we need another phrase for the beginning of a relationship. I always use the phrase, the discovery process, that when you're still in the discovery process, the first few months, you're not allowed to fantasize about a life together. You're just getting to know somebody with their pants off. And that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. But you don't know enough about them. Even if you're fucking the first week, you don't really know enough about that person yet to extrapolate uh, from what I know about this person to a life together. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you, just stay there, stay in that space for a while and be happy to be in that space because no one, because that's a really wonderful place to be early in a relationship and you shouldn't be in a hurry to rush out of that place.
4: Until- yeah. It has just it been a while since I had my last relationship and that's why I think I was a little overeager, like you're saying, making some good points. So yeah, it's definitely, it's
0: true. And that can it's spook people. Break. That can, that overeagerness yeah. can spook people paradoxically, however, people want the people that are attracted to them, that they're dating even casually to be eager, to be excited about them, but they want to see that they're keeping that in check, that they're conscious of the fact that infatuations can be misleading and that they're still getting to know you. And it's still, you're still in the discovery process and you're not rushing out of that. All right. Good luck. Give us a call in six months. Let us know how it turned out.
4: All right. Thanks Dan. Thanks for calling. Bye.
1: Hi Dan. I, texted my daughter today letting her know that my husband who is at sea suggested that I find a companion and she said, Oh mom, we need to talk about this. Maybe you should talk to Dan Savage. And I said, Who's Dan Savage? So I've been listening to you for about three hours now. And my dilemma is my husband recently retired and took off about a year ago on his boat and just texted me or spoke with me the other day and suggested that I find a companion, sexual and dinner and all that stuff. I'm wondering what you think about that. I I sort of took it as he's casting me further aside, my husband, and feel slightly hurt, but then I also think, really, he's looking out for me and wants me to be happy. And if I did decide to have an affair or find a companion, as you call it, I wouldn't even know how to go about doing that. I live in a small town. With, I'm a teacher in the area. Anyway, Dan, if I find a companion,
0: I don't even know what to do.
1: Hi. Hey, oh, my God. I'm so pleased you called me.
0: Well, I'm so distraught for you. Um, I I I'm not distraught for you. You don't sound particularly distraught about this turn of events. You found, sound very calm and measured and a little confused, but not despairing about this turn of events. No,
1: I'm definitely despairing.
0: You are despairing? Yes, I am despairing. Oh, I'm sorry I misread you. You're, you're, you have That's a way right. of rolling this out that makes you sound very calm and measured. So that you're keeping a lid on is a testament to your strength. Because this is a bit of a mind yeah. fuck, isn't it? Yeah. So he's been gone for a it year. Is. He took off on his boat a year ago. Well,
1: I, I've seen him. I've seen him intermittently. Mm-hmm. But yes, he left a year ago. And is Toby just sell, sell everything. Sell my clothes, sell the artwork, sell the house. Some fun, somebody to take care of the dog. We're out of here. So
0: he wants out of the life that you guys built together. Yes. I'm so sorry. It does sound like your marriage is over. And perhaps you should be talking to a divorce lawyer and not a mouthy faggot with a podcast. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Have you talked to a divorce lawyer yet? No, I just went and saw some a woman yesterday, um, kind of a life coach, which I think is the new uh, vernacular for Her, uh, therapists.
0: Life coaches are the new mouthy faggots with podcasts is what you're trying to tell. You're trying to let me down easy and tell me that I've been replaced <laughs> by life coachery. Uh, yeah, I don't think you need a life um, coach. I think you need a lawyer. And I think you know, uh, you say your husband is retired? Yes. Are you approaching retirement
1: age? I'm 57.
0: So So close. Close. If you sell everything and take him for as much as you can get, because he's an asshole who's abandoned you. uh, Do you need to keep working?
1: I'm not sure. I'm not actually sure how much he's worth.
0: You should go for half Um, above too. I got to say.
1: Yeah, well, Christ, if I got half the boat, then our monthly payments on that boat, $3,500.
0: Yikes, sounds like you don't want half the boat. Or let him have the whole boat and you get the whole house.
1: Right, that's an idea.
0: But get me to a divorce lawyer, go. You ask whether your husband is casting you further aside or he wants you to be happy, and it can be a little bit of both. Right? That it does sound like he's, he's ending the marriage and that was his decision and it's not a welcome one as far as you're concerned. But... No,
1: you know, I, I really don't think that he wants to end the marriage necessarily. He just wants to be able to do what he wants to do. And I'm, I'm the fallout gal.
0: Well, Fall to... guy, whatever it is. Uh huh. He wants to Warren Buffett the marriage. Warren Buffett and his wife <laughs> lived basically separate lives for a very long, for decades, and Warren had another partner. And they were all three on friendly terms so far as the world is aware. And he was officially married to this woman that he didn't live with and he didn't really share a life with anymore. But they were still Mr. and Mrs. Buffett. And maybe that's what he wants, but you get to decide whether that's what he gets.
1: Well, you know what he said to me about a week ago or less? He said, I think you should find a, quote, companion. You need somebody to go out with and you probably need somebody to have sex with.
0: Which is his way of saying I have already found or have had a series of.
1: Yeah, I know. That's what I was. I was out walking today, and I and that occurred to me because I'm so fucking naive, and that occurred to me today.
2: I'm so but sorry. That's what's going
1: on. I'm He's so, trying to assuage his guilt by offering me, you know, the freedom to. I don't know.
0: I don't know. It's funny. I was just about to. I was just about to use the phrase assuage his guilt. But I was going to pronounce it assuage his guilt, which is how we say it in Chicago. But yes, that's probably exactly what he's doing. So you have some decisions to make about whether you want to stay married to him on these terms. You need to have a conversation with him where you guys get explicit about what exactly it is he wants when he says these slightly vague opaque things about what you ought to do. What has he done? What is he doing? What does he want? And then you get to decide what you want and what you're going to do. And just as he's unilaterally sort of ended your marriage in some ways, in really important ways, ended the sexual dimension of your marriage, the companionship dimension of your marriage, the cohabitating dimension of your marriage, you get to decide whether you're going to end his marriage legally and finally and officially. That's up to you whether you want to stay in the marriage given the terms that he's dictating to you now. Are you willing to accept those terms or not? then you can walk away from this marriage and take half his shit with you when you go. Yeah.
1: God, I never thought this was going to come up. Jesus.
0: You don't have to divorce, though. There are people out there who reach a stage in their marriage where they kind of go on and have separate, independent lives. And they have sort of new social circles. They, and they each maybe take lovers late in life. But they stay married just for the whatever of it. There's a terrific profile of the Duchess of Devonshire in the New York Times that I completely love and I cite all the time. I bring it up all the time in my column where she was one of the Milford sisters and she was married. She married the Duke of Devonshire and inherited this grand pile of a house and they were together for 50 years. And he was a famous philanderer and the New York Times asked her, why she never divorced him and she said oh my god divorce it's such a bother you americans and your divorces who gets the books who gets the dogs who gets the photo albums? Right. it's just right. a big pain in the ass why do yeah. I? and i'm paraphrasing the duchess of devonshire badly i don't <laughs> think she said pain in the ass it's not very duchessy <laughs> but you can you know remain officially legally married for your own convenience for his convenience that does expose both of you to some degree of risk his debt is your debt and vice versa. So if you stay legally married and one of you goes bananas with the credit cards, the other is fucked and you can end that. Yeah. You can stay technically officially married. You can lead separate lives like the Buffets did. You have options here, but you have to know what's up with him before you can decide which option it is that he's suggesting to you. And, and then which option that you want to take based on what you're willing to live with or accept in the kind of marriage you're willing to settle for at this stage of life and 57 ain't old. You can get out there. You can.
1: Oh, I know it's not, I know. And I'm, I know it's not, and I'm not an old 57 year old. I'm a really young one.
0: Well get out there and find a really yeah. nice 37 year old dude <laughs> who exactly. can companion the shit out of you. Cause you may need a little companionship right now.
1: How do you do that?
0: Well, people used to do it on Ashley Madison, but they're not doing that anymore. There are websites, Adult Friend Finder, fet life, depending on what you're into. You can take out personal ads. You could take out a personal ad on OKCupid, which is seems to be safe and nobody's hacking it, and they don't have terrible business practices. And you can say, "I'm in a, I'm married, but it's a companionate marriage. We don't live together anymore. We don't have sex together anymore. And I'm looking for mm-hmm. a companion and a partner who may be in a similar circumstance." And you will hear from men in a similar circumstance where the marriage is about. Oh yeah. Yeah, where the marriage is about public profile. It's about being parents or grandparents together. It's about property. Maybe they own a business together, and they don't want to dissolve the firm. But the emotional and sexual dimensions of the marriage is over, and those connections yeah,
1: are he's over. Yeah, he's a lousy lover, too. So I
0: well, love. To- <laughs> sounds like you deserve some non-lousy companionship.
1: I think you're right. I
0: think you're right. You have two different things to think about, whether you're going to keep, stay in the marriage or end the marriage. And going out there and when you're ready living it up a little. And I hear all the time from guys in their fifties, sixties, seventies who are in marriages. They do not want to leave for all sorts of completely legitimate reasons and are seeking some intimate companionship that isn't a threat to their marriage and that it's all above board. Like no one's lying to anybody. Mm-hmm. And that's what you can put out there in the world. You can say, that's what I'm looking for. And that's, I'm not willing to settle for less. You're not willing to be somebody's dirty little unmentionable piece on the side. Right. Right. I'm glad your daughter's in your corner. That's a help.
1: Oh, she's definitely in my corner. I told you that she told me to listen to you and call you. (laughs) It's like, who's he? I said I listened to you for like three hours.
0: Oh, well, we have... We have archives at SavageLoveCast.com. You can listen to me for 40 months at this point.
1: Oh, I know. I know I can. (laughs) (laughs) I found your archive. Well, I'm
0: sorry you're going through this. I'm confident that you're going to nail this because you just seem, Mm -hmm. even as distraught and as depressing and upsetting as all this has been, you just seem like an emotionally solid person who's going to weather this storm and come out fine and companioned on the other end. Oh, my pleasure. And and good luck. And don't date another guy who owns a boat. So <laughs> okay. that, that's a form of infidelity that no woman should put up with.
1: And you know what? The thing is, I'm a fucking beautiful, outgoing dynamite woman. And he fucking left me. It's just so, it's such a kick in the teeth. Like, how could you leave me? <laughs> Oh, well, I'll find somebody else who can appreciate my qualities.
0: That is the right attitude. Good luck.
1: All right, Dan, thanks.
0: Bye.
7: I'm calling about episode 466 the man who's living with a woman suffering from depression. Just um, wanted to share my own experiences being in a relationship of 25 years with someone who sounded very similar. She is not going to be happy whether she's with you or not. Keep that in mind. My recommendation is run now. Take care of yourself. If you are going to stay in the relationship, always take care of yourself because the best thing you could do for her is to take care of yourself and your own mental health and not try to change her. You're going to be in for a long relationship if you stay that will be full of ups and downs. You'll never, ever feel happy within this type of relationship um, unless something dramatically changes with her. So keep that in mind. My suggestion is run, but if you are going to stay, make sure you take care of yourself.
8: Hi, I'm
6: calling in with a comment for episode 466. The man's girlfriend wanted him to do e prior to her giving birth. I have to agree with Dan that this is a, a solvable cuckoo bananas, especially when there are plenty of women out there who opt to have an epidural and don't experience, you know, the, the associated pain of childbirth. As a woman who had an epidural... I wanted to kiss my anesthesiologist, and I can't imagine wanting to put your partner through a pain that their body wasn't actually built for. I mean, physiologically, women should be able to handle birth. Men
1: don't have that.
6: So making your partner get their abs shot is some sort of crazy birth simulation? No. Hey, Dan. This is just a comment for you uh, based on the intro to last week's show, uh, when you said that police and prosecutors are empowered to go after uh, young teens who are sexting and whatnot, uh, i just like to point out that a lot of prosecutors are elected. Um, so it's just one more reason why people should really register to vote and be paying attention to local politics. Um, yes, prosecutors are often empowered to make those decisions, but they also have their own agendas. Uh, and I think that voters really need to be aware of where these people stand on these issues ahead of time so that hopefully uh, we can get smart people into office to prevent things like this from happening. Uh, Thanks so much. Love the show.
0: And we're going to leave it there. Before we let you go, though, we're going to remind you that we are doing a live taping of the Savage Lovecast in Denver at Ophelia's Electric Soapbox on Thursday, October 15th at 8 p.m. Go to thestranger.com slash Denver. We have some special surprises in store for you and for me at this very special taping in Denver. Again, Thursday, October 15th. Tickets at thestranger.com Savage Love Denver. All right, 206 302 2064 is the number here at the Savage Love cast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206 302 2064. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Christopher Frizzell on Twitter at The And follow Rachel Purcellay on Twitter at R That's R P E R C E L A Y. Speaking of Twitter, Roadway John tweets Fake Dan Savage, you keep mentioning Lords or Lurds, as in healing waters flow from her pussy like the spring at lords. What the fuck is Lurds? Oh. Oh, the cultural literacy. Lourdes is a place in France where Mary, Mother of God, appeared before a couple of snot-nosed teenagers and gave them some secret revelations that they gave to the Pope. And now there's a shrine at Lourdes and there's a spring at Lourdes and people come to Lourdes to bathe in the healing waters of Lourdes, which spring forth from the spring at Lourdes. Look it up. Google it. It's L-O-U-R. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast.